Welcome to another edition of Bayou Business Download, a podcast from the Greater Houston Partnership where we dive into the data and analytics influencing the region's economy. I'm your host, AJ Mistretta, and I'm joined again by Partnership Senior Vice President of Research, Patrick Jankowski. Today, we're going to give you some insight into the energy market amid COVID-19. What's happened to oil and gas in the last few months? How much of it has to do with the pandemic? And how much was already set in motion before COVID-19 arrived? Patrick, thanks for joining me today. AJ, it's good being, being on the line with you again today. Patrick, before we get into the specifics of the energy industry, which is where we're going to focus our attention in this episode, we're recording this on July 1st. What does the latest data tell us about the jobs picture here at the Houston region? Well, let me talk about two different data sets. Let me talk about uh, initial claims for unemployment insurance, and then I'll actually talk about jobs. Initial claims is, makes a headline because it's one thing it's released every week. Uh, for the last week, initial claims were 22,000 for the Houston metro area. Uh, that's very highly elevated. It's five times higher than it should be, but it's down considerably from where it was in early April. In early April, we were seeing claims at the rate of 76,000 a week. You know, that April 4th, that was 18 times the normal rate. So the June 13th, that's just five times the normal rate. So it's still elevated. Right. But it's headed in the right direction. Let me, let me shift over and let's talk a little bit, though, about employment, about jobs. In March and April, the metropolitan area lost uh, approximately 350,000 jobs. That's one in every nine. And we began the reopening process in May. It, it looks like it's being interrupted somewhat with the current surge in COVID. But, but going back to the 350,000 jobs, we actually recouped about 75,000 of those in May. Uh, most of those gains came from where you would expect, in restaurants and healthcare and construction, administrative support. It's, it's kind of difficult talking about numbers uh, when you don't have a chart in front of you, but just give you some idea. The restaurant industry lost 110,000 jobs in March and April. It's recouped about 37,000 of those. Healthcare lost over 40,000 jobs. It's recouped about 25,000 of those. Construction lost over 30,000 jobs. It's recouped about 8,000. So what we're seeing is that these sectors have recouped some of the jobs, but not all the jobs. We're still down about 275,000 jobs from where we were prior to the pandemic. One of my concerns is that some sectors aren't recouping any jobs or continue to lose jobs. It's kind of a broad sector, other services, and that includes everything from repair services and salons and nonprofit organizations and funeral parlors and so forth. Uh, that's lost 28,000 jobs in this downturn and is yet to recoup any. Manufacturing has lost 14,000. Government and government's going to be heavily weighted to education has lost 18,000. Energy has lost 15,000. Professional services has lost another 13,000. And, and those sectors, they're not adding any jobs back. So we still have a long way to go in this very nascent recovery. I'm hesitant even to call it a recovery because we're worried about the second wave. And it'll be interesting to see what the June and July numbers look like when we get those numbers in July and August. As you said, some of the industries that had seen significant losses did recoup some of those losses in May. Others didn't. But the resurgence of the virus here in Texas has prompted a pause in reopening I hate to ask you to break out your crystal ball here, but how might that pause and reopening affect the jobs data in June or July? Well, the sectors that showed any 
job gains in May were those that were affected by orders for social distancing. And we went from being able to open the restaurants up 25% to 50% to 75%. Now that's scaled back to 50%. I suspect that we are probably going to continue to see job losses when we get the numbers for June or July. Part of the problem is the way the data is gathered and reported. It might not be obvious for a while, but when you go back and you say you, you have to basically shut down all the bars and we've cut the restaurant capacity back again by another third, uh, we are going to see job losses in, in the future months. I mean, we're, we have an unemployment rate right now of 13.9%. I suspect it's going to get up to 15% at least before this is all over with. We all know, of course, that the oil and gas industry has been a powerful economic force in Houston for more than a century. Talk, if you can, Patrick, about the importance of the sector on Houston pre-COVID. You know, gosh, energy, it's still very important. It's, it's one of the three drivers of the economy. It's not the driver it was in the 80s. But right now, if you want to look at the things which affect Houston's economic growth the most, it is oil and gas, obviously. But the national economy plays a really big role in Houston's growth because we are so closely tied to the national economy. And then we, we export an awful lot to the world. There's a Brookings Institute study out there that says Houston, of all the major metropolitan areas, has the largest share of its GDP tied to exports. So unfortunately, what we're seeing is the two other sectors that offset energy also struggling. But let me, let me throw out, there's a kind of a concept we use in economics sometimes called the gee whiz factor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let me, let me tell you kind of the gee whiz numbers. There, there are 4,700 companies in Houston that are directly in the oil and gas business. That's the exploration firms, the oil for service firms, the pipelines. The two-thirds of all the, the global integrated oil and gas firms, the Shells and the BPs, have operations here. Uh, one out of every five national oil companies like Saudi Aramco or Gazprom have operations here. The sector accounts for directly, those who are employed directly in oil and gas, one out of every 10 jobs. But then you have to look at the other jobs that are tied to that, the legal jobs, the accounting jobs, and, and so forth. Easily, I would say a third of Houston's economy is tied to oil and gas. It's down from close to 80% in the 80s but it's still a very heavily uh, dependent upon oil and gas for a lot of its growth. When the pandemic first reached Houston in March, we were simultaneously talking about an international tug of war between Russia and Saudi Arabia that was uh, prompting a huge drop in oil prices and subsequent cuts in production. How did that specific situation get resolved and what were the ramifications as you see them? Well, you're referring to the, the Saudi-Russia price war and, and actually, it's even referred to the Saudi-Russia price war already in some of the history books and some of the articles out there. Uh, the Saudis, uh, OPEC, led by Saudi Arabia, realized that there was a, a global glut even before the pandemic and wanted OPEC members, plus the 10 countries which are outside of OPEC, which includes Russia, to reduce their production. Russia flat out refused to. They didn't want to cut their production to support prices. And they literally walked out of the meeting saying, no, we are not going to do anything. We think things are fine. So Saudi decided it was going to punish Russia. And it decided to uh, flood the market with its own oil and also cut prices. And that set prices very, very low. We had, had prices trading in, in the teens. Russia kind of realized the error of its ways. Russia realized that uh, the Saudis weren't going to back down. And so they came to an agreement. Uh, we've seen some recovery in prices since then, but, but not enough, not enough to ease the pain the industry is still suffering through. We are really, really at a, a very 
painful time, a desperate time, a struggling time for the oil and gas industry. As we sit here today on July 1st, where are prices right now? And how do you anticipate prices will change over the course of the remainder of the year? Uh, we're not going to see very much movement in oil prices. Uh, as production comes back online, it's going to continue to, to pr- suppress some of the oil prices out there. We're seeing a little bit of a pickup in demand. There, there, there are two good sources to look at what's happening with energy prices. One is the U.S. Energy Information Administration. They're showing that WTI, the benchmark for crude in the U.S., is only going to trade around the mid-30s on average this year and, and maybe in the mid-40s next year. If you want to go to the futures market, which is what people who are willing to sign a contract saying, I will accept crude at this price on this date, they're showing that that crude prices won't get above $40 a barrel this year and won't get above $41 a barrel next year. And that's a real concern because the industry needs $25 to $30 a barrel to, to cover the cost of operating an existing well. So current prices will cover the cost of an existing well, but it won't cover the cost of drilling new wells. The industry really needs $50 a barrel to drill new wells. And so until we see oil prices get back up, maybe in the mid-40s, you might start to see some drilling activity, but you wouldn't see any pickup in activity until oil prices get above 50. Got it. So we need 40s to sustain where we are, 50s to see new wells drilled. That, that's correct. Based on the survey from the Dallas Fed, some, some companies can make money at $15 oil, but there are also companies in there that aren't making money even when the oil's at $70 a barrel. So what we're mm-hmm. going to see is we're going to continue to see some shakeout in the industry. And you're not going to see any significant pickup in drilling until we get to that magic $50 threshold. So following that, we have seen a global drop in demand as the pandemic shuttered economies around the world. Airplanes are grounded and using less fuel. Cruise ships aren't going anywhere. But is the current drop in the oil market tied entirely to lower demand? In other words, if a COVID vaccine were identified and deployed tomorrow and economic activity picked back up, would oil prices reach where they were pre-pandemic? No, the oil and gas industry was suffering challenges prior to the pandemic. Some are, are, are macro and some of them are very industry specific. For one thing, global growth was slowing. In 2017, we had nearly 4% global growth. That slipped to 3.6% in 2018. 2.9% in 2019. The early forecast is it for be somewhere in the low two point something this year prior to COVID. So whenever you have slower growth, you're going to have slower consumption or weaker consumption of oil and gas. Uh, we saw the global demand for crude starting to slow down as well. If, if you go back 10 years ago, we were, it was nice we could see global demand growing by 1.5 or 2 million barrels a, a day. Last year, it only grew by 800,000 barrels a day. So we started to see a drop off in demand for crude. It's not just the slowdown in the global economy, which leads to the slowdown in, in, in growth, which leads really to slowdown in demand, but you can't help but pick up the paper or listen to the radio, go on the internet without seeing all the concerns about global warming, global climate change, and the mandates across Europe and the mandates across Asia that we have to move away from the internal combustion engine to electric powered vehicles, and that was beginning to make inroads in the demand for crude and the demand for for fossil fuels. Thanks, Patrick. We'll get right back to the conversation. But first, Bayou Business Download is made possible by PNC Bank, which is proud to support the Greater Houston Partnership. PNC believes that giving back to their customers, their employees, and our community is the right thing to do. 
Visit pnc.com slash about us to learn more. The PNC Financial Services Group, Inc., all rights reserved. Patrick, the drop in prices has prompted a dramatic fallout in production, as we've talked about. Talk, if you can, though, about the U.S. rig count specifically. Where is it today compared to before the pandemic, and how does that stack up historically? Oh, I've, I've never seen the rig count this low in my career, and I've been studying the oil and gas industry for 38 years. Uh, last week, that was the weekend in June 26, there were only 265 rigs operating in the U.S. The peak of this cycle, if you want to go back to December 2018, there were uh, over 1,000 rigs operating. This December, there were 813 rigs operating. It just continues to go down and down. And, and that's just the last two years. If we go all the way back to the fracking boom that started with the Eagle Fur to moved into the Permian, if we want to go back to that, the, that wistfully go back to that period <laughs> 2010, 2014. At one time, the rig count got up to 1,931 rigs at the peak of the fracking boom. So what we've done is we've cut over 1,600 rigs out of the drilling fleet over the last six years. That's a drop of 86.3%. Now imagine that, imagine if your income was cut by 86%, or imagine yeah. if you had, if you're a car dealer and you had 86% fewer vehicles to sell, or uh, kind of like the restaurants are doing, 86% fewer customers. It's had a dramatic impact on the industry. And that's one reason why we're seeing uh, so many layoffs, both in the oil field services and oil field equipment and exploration and so forth. Uh, and I'm afraid this pain is gonna last for quite a while, especially when you look at where oil prices are projected to go. We touched on it before, but looking specifically at the energy jobs picture, a lot of cuts we've seen so far have been with the energy services companies. That's where it starts though, traditionally. Are we beginning to see broader cuts in the sector, for instance, in exploration and production, like you mentioned? Yeah, well, there's uh, an expression out there, the closer you are to the, to the drilling rig, the more your job is at risk. And so that, and that's what we saw first off. You saw the, the, if you're not drilling, you don't need to cruise. You might try to keep them together for a while to see if things are going to pick up. But the layoffs out in the field are, are, are pretty close to being done with, and we're seeing them in the equipment manufacturing, because if you have so many fewer rigs running, you need, uh, you don't even need replacement parts. You can cannibalize existing rigs. Uh, you don't consume as much. And so we're seeing the manufacturing. And then when you have so few rigs operating, you need fewer people back and used to supervising those operations. And so we're seeing in the white collar side of the oil and gas. And, it, and I touched upon it earlier, the oil and gas industry, it's not just the people who, who directly work in oil and gas, but it's all the support services. If you think about it, uh, the accounting firms, so much of their practices are tied up serving the oil and gas industry and, and the law firms and the hotels. We talk about hotels being down because of COVID, but the oil firms bring a lot of people into town for training. If they're not bringing them into town for training, they're not going to be booking them in the hotels. They're not going to be paying for their restaurant meals. Exactly. That makes sense. COVID was, I'm trying to think of a metaphor that's not too nasty. You know, COVID, COVID was kind of like sticking the knife in and oil prices dropping to the 20s is kind of like twisting a little bit. It really is hurting Houston's economy. So why do job losses in energy cut deeper than losses in other sectors here, like manufacturing or construction, for instance? Well, well two things. One thing, the oil and gas industry started in the 90s outsourcing a lot of things and going, getting back to their core operations. And so rather than having huge accounting departments, what they've done is they've outsourced their accounting to CPA firms. 
and the same with not rather than having huge legal departments. So one thing, the oil and gas industry has outsourced so much of its activity. So it can just focus on its core functions. And when those core functions are cut back by a half, you're going to see comparable cuts in other areas if they can't scramble to find new clients. The other is the oil and gas industry pays very well. It pays better than any, almost any other industry in Houston. If you want to look at the typical salary, and I look, this, com this comes from something called the quarterly census of employment and wages, the typical salary in an exploration firm, or I should say the average, you know, you've got people who make more, people make less. The average salary in exploration production is about 200000 a year in Houston. If you look at oil field services, it's about 140000 If you look at the engineers supporting them, it's 130000 I bring those up because average compensation in Houston is about sixty-five. So the oil and gas industry pays either two to three times the level of salary the rest of the, the, the economy pays. And those oil workers, those energy workers, then spend those salaries on housing, on apartments, in restaurants. Well, not, not in restaurants now, but they will if we are open back up. And so it gets more money out in the economy. The other thing is that so much of the oil and gas industry is concentrated here that when, when an exploration firm spends a dollar, it spends it with so many of the other support firms in town, it turns over and over and over multiple times. There's something called a jobs multiplier yeah. for every one job in the oil and gas industry. It actually supports three to four jobs elsewhere in the economy. And so that's the reason why when that one job is lost, it affects so many other parts of the economy. There was a recent survey of energy companies that touched on their employment outlook. What did that survey find? Uh, what you're referring to is a survey that the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas does. They do a, a series of quarterly surveys. Uh, I encourage people who are listening, if you want to go to the Dallas Feds website, you can call up the energy surveys. Lots of good data there. They just completed one on June 24th, and it has the headline on it. And I'm going to quote directly the headline, collapse in oil and gas activity, employment deepens. So things are worse in the second quarter than they were in the first quarter. Uh, when oil prices fell so low, companies couldn't even cover the cost of operating their wells. And so they actually shut in production. 82% of the people who responded to the survey, 82% of the companies that responded to the survey said they shut in production in the second quarter because prices were too low. Uh, if you ask them when they expect activities start to pick up, 40% or more of the people in the survey, the responses in the survey said they didn't expect activity to pick up till 2022. 15% said they never expect activity to get back to pre-COVID levels. Wow, that's pretty rough. I'd rather be <laughs> telling jokes right now talking about this, but it just gives you an indication of just how the oil and gas industry is struggling. We can't look to oil and gas to be a driver of our economy anymore. We're going to have to look to other sectors, especially when we're looking at just how weak oil prices are going to be over the next uh, two to three years. Patrick, before the coronavirus and the collapse of the oil markets began way back in January, it seems like a lifetime ago, the partnership announced a bold initiative to make Houston the hub for energy transition or the move to renewables, such as solar, wind, batteries, et cetera. How do you see that effort evolving in light of what the oil and gas market has sustained lately? Is now the time to accelerate that transition? I definitely think there's a greater sense of urgency now. For a long time, a lot of people in the industry were in denial or they may pay lip service to it. Uh, I think they started to come around about two to three years ago and now they realize that they should have come around maybe six or seven years ago uh, because we're definitely moving towards a, a low carbon environment, an environment where we're trying to burn as few hydrocarbons as possible 
and whatever we burn, we're going to capture that carbon. You know, one thing that was really nice to see, we had an announcement just a few weeks ago, Greentown Labs is coming to Houston. They are based in Boston. They are an energy incubator. And they take great ideas in, in energy, especially alternative energy, and find ways to grow them. And so they are going to be opening up a facility in Houston to leverage what they have here and also work with the oil and gas companies that are here. The oil and gas rooms, they are doing things. They've been doing it kind of quietly. Some of them are very obvious. Uh, like, it, I think it's real obvious. Or they're real public about what they're doing with BP and Shell and Chevron. Others are going about it a little bit more quietly. What we need to do is just give all the support we can to these companies because we want to remain the energy capital of the world. Hydrocarbons are still going to be important, important for quite some time. But as we make that transition, we want to be the universal energy capital of the world, not just the hydrocarbon energy capital of the world. All right, Patrick, thanks for your insights today. It is so good being on with you, AJ. Once again, I, I, I look forward to us being able to sit across the desk and do these and not being doing it via Zoom. But uh, thank you for asking me the questions. I'm hoping I'm giving some insights to the community out there so they understand what Houston's up against. I think we are, Patrick. And that's it for this episode of the Bayou Business Download. Thank you again to PNC Bank for helping make this podcast possible. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can do so by visiting the podcast page on Houston.org. You'll also find links to recent data and news updates. We are also updating our coronavirus resource page daily with links, articles, and tools geared toward the Houston business community. You can find the links on our homepage or go to Houston.org slash coronavirus. Please continue to follow the directives from local officials and health experts. And thanks again for listening to Bayou Business Download.